Father, thank you that we have a saviour. We have King Jesus. We want to get to know him better now for ourselves and in order to share him with our world. We pray you speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, he exited the world through a door marked no exit. He entered the world through a door marked no entry. As we approach Christmas, we're going to look at these four songs in Luke chapter 1 and 2 that uh, Luke uh, give us to, that help to explain and, and, and more than that to celebrate what God was doing when his son was born as a man, born miraculously through that door marked no entry, born miraculously of a virgin, a young woman named Mary. Just as his death was no ordinary death and uh, was followed by the most improbable and yet wonderful of miracles as he rose again in victory over death, so his life began with an improbable but wonderful miracle. And Luke tells us as he begins this gospel at the beginning of chapter 1 that he's setting out not merely to write uh, some kind of myth. No, he's carefully researched and investigated everything. He's talked to eyewitnesses so that his readers might know the certainty of the things they've been taught. And he gives us the history, he gives us the miracles, the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and so on into the book of Acts. But along with that, he also gives us the human response to all of these things. What does it look like to hear and to put your trust in what God is doing and has done through these extraordinary events? Well, in these verses that we, that we heard, we hear Mary's response to this. And we're going to focus particularly on this song that she sings. Now, maybe it's slightly odd, isn't it, to study four songs, as we're going to do, Mary, then Zechariah, and next time, and the angels, and Simeon. Maybe it's slightly odd to study songs when we can't sing. But, but Mary, through this teaching, is helping us to, to do more than just physically sing, as important and wonderful as that is. She is teaching us what it means in a much broader sense, to celebrate what God has done. We, t we tend to think a lot as Christians about how to respond when things are tough, when things are difficult, when we're in pain, when we're suffering. And we've had to do that a lot through this year, haven't we? And, and, and that is entirely right. It's, it's because we live in a fallen world inhabited by sinners like us, Suffering is going to be normal. Christians need to learn how to trust our Heavenly Father through COVID, through everything else, for example. But th th there's a danger that we forget how to celebrate when there's good news. These days, many turn to social media when there's good news. You know, social scientists observe that in regular speech, human beings speak about ourselves maybe 30 to 40% of the time. On social media, when we, when we present ourselves there, we speak about ourselves 80% of the time. It's not hard to believe that, is it, when you think about it? 80% of what we put on social media is in some way saying, look at me, 
Look at what I've done. Look at what I've achieved. Look at this meal that I've just cooked. My happy, smiling family who never argue, honest. The amazing day that I've had. It's all about me. But here, here is Mary, who's just been given the life-changing, unique, extraordinary news that she is to be the mother of a saviour king. And she celebrates by saying in this song, look at God. Here then is Mary as a model of what it means to trust God and to believe his promises. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done, she says. Let me sing about that. So let's look at what she says then in three sections. We have, first of all, Mary's joy in God, verses 46 and 47. Her joy in God. My soul, my innermost being she is saying, is rejoicing in God, my Saviour. It is magnifying the Lord. He must be greater and I must be less. Because he's come to me. You know, she's, we think, a mere teenager, a mere young woman. And God has given her this extraordinary, unique gift of this child. We see here her heart is full of scripture. That's why we read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, which was Hannah's prayer, generations before, when she finally becomes pregnant with Samuel there. And the language is similar, though not quite the same, here in in this song of Mary. In, In 1 Samuel, it was, my heart rejoices in the Lord. I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. The bows of the warriors are broken. Those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. Those who were hungry hunger no more. It's kind of similar, isn't it? Not exactly the same words. But the point is, you see, Mary is full of Scripture. She's full of the Bible. So when she praises God, she can't help using the words and the ideas of those who've gone before her, of, from the Scripture that she knows so well. And that, that in itself, isn't it, is, is a model of how to use God's words to praise him. But, but more than that, throughout his gospel, Luke will highlight those who humble themselves, those who walk closely with God. And here is his first example alongside Elizabeth, as together they humble themselves and they celebrate what God is doing. Her heart is bursting. And it's not, she's not bursting with what it means for her and her future and the implications for her life. Her heart, her heart is bursting with God. Now, as some people know, there's a, a new small dog in our family. And uh, we can now test out the often commented upon differences between cats and dogs, because we have two cats and one dog. And uh, it's been observed that uh, you treat a dog well and you give it treats. Here we go, sorry, there's a picture there. It's not, not, that's not our dog and our cat, but you get the idea. Uh, treat a dog well and give it treats and, and show it love and affection. And the response of the dog when you treat it like that is to say, Wow, you must be God. But treat a cat well. And give it treats and show it love and affection, and its response is to say, wow, I must be God. 
Now, actually, I think many of us really are in that cat category, aren't we? In fact, all of us are, naturally. It's really a picture of what human sin looks like. See, we we naturally take the gifts from our Creator and we ignore the giver, the one who's given them to us. But Mary is modelling the alternative response to our Creator of praising him and rejoicing in him for his kindness and love. Of course, it's not that uh, life is going to be uh, easy for Mary now. It's not that everything's going to be pain-free, either as she gives birth or as she watches this extraordinary child grow up. She will lose him on a, a visit to Jerusalem when he's 12. She, she will think that he's gone completely mad when he's 30. She will watch him die like a common criminal when he's 33 or thereabouts. But in rejoicing, then, she, she's not saying... My life is now trouble-free. I've got all my ducks in a row. Nothing can go wrong now. No, that would be rejoicing in herself and her circumstances. That's not what she's doing. But she's rejoicing in God, her saviour. So the end of 2020, it might feel like the only thing we can rejoice in is, you know, maybe that the inevitable Christmas circulars and Christmas cards are going to be a whole lot shorter than usual. But actually, no we can rejoice in God with Mary. That's what this is calling us to. Okay, so we can rejoice in God with Mary, but why? Why can we do that? On what basis? Well, that's what she goes on to say next. So, then we see God's mercy to Mary, first of all, verses 48 to 49. God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Why is that so remarkable? Because, if, you know, if there is a God, well, it's his job to be interested in someone like me, people might think. The Bible has a rather different perspective from that. In uh, Psalm 8, King David puts it like this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him? When it comes to the strong and the powerful and the important among human beings, it doesn't work like that at all, does it? You know, normally, the more power you have, the harder you are to get hold of. And the more barriers there are to people. And the more flunkies who will try and keep the riffraff away so that you can focus on what's really important. Now, many of us, I know not all, but many of us are subjects of Her Majesty the Queen. Now, has anyone actually met her? Does does she actually know that any of us exist? You know, I exchanged eye contact with her once. It was a great day, 1996. Can you do better than that? God has infinitely more power than any human sovereign and yet he is mindful of this most humble and insignificant of young women again Luke composing this gospel does something very striking in the first three chapters he begins each chapter with a reference to someone big and important so chapter one verse five after his little intro it's Herod King Herod, everyone's heard of King Herod. Then chapter 2, verse 1, Caesar Augustus. 
you know, the, the Roman emperor. It doesn't get more important than that in that world. Then chapter 3, Tiberius Caesar, as time has moved on, and, and Pontius Pilate and, and Herod and a few others. You see, Luke's a historian. You expect historians to talk about the statesmen and the people that you've heard of. But in each case, he mentions their name and then he switches immediately away from them to the people that no one's heard of. He switches from the old self-important men to young, unknown women, to a tiny, insignificant village, to a strange prophet in the wilderness. This is where the action is, Luke is saying. God is mindful of the lowly. He's infinitely great, and yet he knows each of his creatures better than we know ourselves. Now Mary goes on as she describes his mercy to her. She calls God holy. And that means set apart, different, so good that like the sun, if you get too close, you will simply burn up. And we often think, now she's talked about his mercy, we often think mercy and holiness must be the kind of opposite of each other. You know, that God must either be completely holy and just and punish sin and wrongdoing, or else he must be merciful and forgiving, but it would, be, it would have to be at the expense of being completely holy. We often think. But Mary shows us, no, both are absolutely true. This is what it means to be God, to be utterly good, and in his utter goodness, to be merciful to those who don't deserve it. And we'll only discover how that could possibly be possible when we come to see Jesus' death at the cross. But in Jesus, we see God came to serve his people. He came to serve his people. And yet, because he's holy, you see, that doesn't make us his masters. He came to serve us, but we're not his master. He's still our master. He's not our butler. He's not here to serve our every whim. He has mercy on our deepest needs. But the proper response with Mary is to fall on our knees and rejoice in him. See, if we only turn to God when there's a problem or things aren't going our way, if that's when we pray, well, actually, that may indicate we're remembering that he's merciful, perhaps, but not that he's holy. We're forgetting who he actually is. See, we exist for him, not the other way around. He's at the centre, not us. So Mary rejoices in God because of his mercy to her, and then she moves on from her own circumstances to God's mercy to the world. And so we see, thirdly, God's mercy to the world from the remaining verses. Verse 50, his mercy is for all those who fear him, who humble themselves before him. But then she goes on to contrast that with how God responds to those who are proud, to those who think they are strong, scattering them, bringing them down, sending the rich away empty. The rich, the rich shouldn't be empty. But that's the very you know, point of being rich, surely, we, people think. You know, holding on to wealth, storing it all up so that I might never be empty, the rich person might think. For how long? Do you know the poem Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley? It talks about a traveller 
who tells of a scene he came across in the desert. And in this scene, there's this massive stone statue head. And all that remains is the head. And it's, it's, it's huge, and it's half buried in the sand, kind of lying on its side. And there's a plinth next to it that says this. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. And then the poem concludes... Nothing besides remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. See, that is the fate of all empires, all powers everywhere. We've seen it with the, you know, we know the Roman Empire came to an end. Could we believe even that the West could come to an end in the same way? Closer to home, uh, there's the story of someone interviewing a young, ambitious teenager and uh, asking them for their hopes and dreams for the future. What are you going to do next? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to pass my GCSEs and get into sixth form. Oh, great, what then? Well, I guess I'll, I'll do my A-levels. Oh, great, what then? Well, I'd, I'd like to go to university. Great, what then? Well, I'll, I'll get a, a job that pays lots of money. Great, what then? Well, I'd like to get married and, and have a family or, or, or maybe to focus on my career. Well, great, what then? Well, I guess maybe a, a promotion and a, and a bigger house. Create some memories. Great, what then? Well, eventually, I guess I'll retire. Great, well, what then? I'll spend my hard-earned pension, I'll go on lots of holidays, I'll travel the world, I'll put my feet up. Oh, great, what then? Well, eventually, I'll die, I suppose. Well, what then? See, these verses remind us what God thinks of human pride and ambition that focuses on us and our hopes and dreams and our plans rather than on him see that's not him being a spoil sport it's him reminding us of what we were created for to know him as our father who cares for his people to depend on him for life itself he scatters the proud think of the tower of babel in genesis you know human beings thought they could gather together to build a massive tower to make a name for themselves. We don't need God to be great and to build a great civilization, they said. And God scattered them because he knows better than we can ever know or understand that living in rebellion against him leads to destruction. So have we learnt that lesson in the face of this pandemic yet? You know, when we hear people stand up and, and proclaim, science will ride to our rescue, science will save us. Now, of course, we're grateful, aren't we, for those who serve others through healthcare and medical research. It's vital and it's important work. But is it actually going to save us from our greatest, deepest problems and rescue us in the face of our deepest needs? There was a fantastic cartoon in, in Private Eye, believe it or not, this week, 
Um, here it is on the screen, if you can see it. There's a, there's a sign first in front of the newsagent, life to return after Easter. And then next to it, there's the sign in front of the church. Been there, done that. See, the, the problem with thinking that we can survive and make do and thrive even without God is that we cut ourselves off from real life, from his mercy that we need. For those who will recognise that need, look at what he offers. Verse 52, he has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. He's helped his servant, his people, Israel, in fulfilment of what he promised back in the beginning to Abraham. The verbs, the doing words in these verses are all in the past tense because this is a way of speaking with absolute certainty of what God is about to do through this miracle baby in the womb of Mary, just as he promised. Plenty of people have fallen for the lie that, you know, God, if he even exists, is distant, indifferent, uncaring, unhelpful, malevolent even. Mary says to us, that God doesn't exist. You know, when people tell me they can't believe in a God who, you know, does that, whatever, I want to say, I, I don't believe in him either. I don't believe in that God that you're talking about. See, the God who has made himself known to us by coming to earth via the womb of this Virgin Mary is a God of might and mercy, who is mindful of his people, who cares about injustice and the vulnerable and those the world has forgotten. We heard this week at our prayer meeting about the work of London City Mission that we support on the streets of King's Cross, <clears throat> bringing hope in Jesus to those the world has forgotten about. And it's wonderful as well that a small group of people have been cooking in our kitchen for the last three weeks, once a week providing hot meals for 150 people in the Queen's Crescent area. It's completely different from Hampstead, isn't it? But we, we want to get involved in things like that because we believe God became a man and identified with the lowly and we need to pray for opportunities in doing that to share not just daily bread as important as that is but eternal hope in Jesus too what do we do then if we are the ones with the resources the ones that most of the world might think are you know relatively well off well, it's not just about providing physical foods to nourish hungry people for one more day. It's about saying God is the God of the lowly, not the proud. So that we boast then, not in wealth, but in our poverty before God. And then that we use what God has given us to serve him and not ourselves. We hold on to it lightly. Mary reminds us that in doing that, that is the route not to misery and loss and failure, but to what? To real deep joy in her soul the deepest part of her being. 
We may not be able to sing out loud together right now, but we can make this the song of our hearts as we head towards celebrating the birth of our Saviour. Even in the daily frustrations and anxieties and pain and fear, we can say with Mary, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Let's be quiet for a moment and then I'll lead us in prayer. My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We praise you for your mercy. And we want to receive that for ourselves by trusting in Jesus for ourselves today. Boasting not in ourselves and our achievements, but in what Jesus has done for us and then to share that with the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.